Louise Bedford here. Just before we kick off with today's show, I wanted to let you know that for one week only, you can get up to 84% off a selection of my most popular trading education products available through tradinggame.com.au. Make no mistake. Your financial future is in your hands. So check out the audios, videos, and study courses that I have available at tradinggame.com.au. Now's your chance to develop your skills as a trader for up to 84% off, but only for the next week. Let's get on with the show. Authenticity comes across really clearly to the people that you're leading. So if you're not yourself, it's quite clear to people, but people respect that if you are yourself, you say what you think, you stand for something and and you you have a lot of conviction in how you do that. So I, I think the best leaders and the most effective leaders are very genuine and authentic about how they go about what they do. And then they do what they say, you know, so actions and words can often be separated and, and good leaders really live uh, what they say, you know, they, they live the actions. Hi, this is Caroline Stephen, and this is Talking Trading Podcast. Last week, we featured former Wallaby captain Stephen Moore, who's known as one of Australia's greatest rugby union players. And today we hear part two on what it takes to be an elite athlete, a leader, and a winner. Yes, do you want to be? Do you want to be a wallaby? Well, in today's show, we do. Stephen played 24 tests for Australia and he led the country to two World Cup finals. He is the 14th most cap player of all time. Today, Stephen looks at the value of consistency both on and off the field, the personal highlights of his career, how he finds transitioning to corporate life. And finally, I think this is Stephen's favourite topic aspects of leadership which are most important to him. Just as Stephen talks about transitioning to corporate life after professional rugby, Louise Bedford today in Mind Power talks about transitioning into trading and what you can expect. Here she is. So many people are so hard on themselves when they're learning to trade. Do you know, whenever you're going through a transition, a transition to a new job, a new partner, a new house, a new area, whenever you are going through a transition, you will find your productivity is hit hard. You won't get as many things done. You won't achieve as much. And you might even find that you take that out on yourself. Now, this is such a shame because really, when you look back, every time you learn something new, it took you ages to learn that thing, to get good at your job, to get good at a hobby, and certainly to get good at trading. I pretty much think to myself, whenever I start something new, I think it's going to be two years where I suck, where I will feel uncomfortable, where I won't know what I'm doing. And it pretty much ties into the fact that when you're learning to trade, it is a three to five year plan. 
There are no shortcuts other than you improving your own education and your own levels of discipline. That is your shortcut. But it is still at least a year to break even, then a year to get profitable, and then maybe year three to five you might, might start getting some good money in. The thing with this is in the meantime, you have to be gentle with yourself. Don't expect too much. Don't give yourself that harsh talking to. That can actually mean that you're more likely to quit. Just think that you are in a period of transition. Your actions are transitioning. You're having to look at charts. You're having to work out some mathematical concepts around stop losses. You are actually having to transition from an activity point of view as well. You're having to set aside time to trade. You're having to make sure that you have that space in your life so that those around you do not denigrate your efforts. This is a period of transition for you. So be gentle with yourself as you learn. Tie on in to people who sincerely want you to do well and who care for you and who want the best for you. And before long, you'll be living the trader's life. Hi, everybody. I'm Anthony Saliba, and I listen to Talking Trading with Caroline. And now here's part two of our interview with Stephen Moore. I start the interview by asking a personal question about my 15-year-old nephew who's rugby obsessed. I have a 15-year-old nephew in the UK. He plays flanker for the Kent Cup. He likes to ask you a question if that's okay. What advice would you give him at 15 for his future rugby career? Yeah, I think uh, to start with, I get asked this a lot by people at school. I think 15, you just want to enjoy the moment. So don't plan too far ahead. Just enjoy playing rugby with your mates and working hard on, on your game today. You know, So a lot of kids at 15, 16 start thinking about, well, am I going to make it professionally or you know, well, who am I going to play for when I leave school and all this stuff. But if you get the today right, then the next thing will take care of itself. And the other part that I often say to people is is make sure you've got multiple things in your life that, that make you happy and that motivate you. So you know, you've got your rugby, that's great. And for, for a lot of kids and for me, that was a very big part of my life. But I also had other things. You know, you might have music or, um, you know, food or study or whatever it might be that, that you're really interested in. So make sure you give them the attention they deserve as well and and your family, you know. So all the things come together to make you a better person and ultimately that'll that'll help to impact on the things that you love really positively. So you'll end up being a better footballer because you're spending more time thinking about your study or because the habits you develop in all those areas end up, you know, ultimately help your, your sport as well. So... You know, I think it's really important for, for kids at that age to not pigeonhole themselves too early um, around one specific thing. And, and that's hard because there's a lot of pressure at school to do that. I was down at Balmoral Beach the other day going for a swim and Phil Kearns got out of the water. He looked really right. fit. Does <laughs> he? Yeah, right. <laughs> Must be all that swimming. 
<laughs> running, walking up and down that hill at Balmoral. What's your fitness regime now? You're not playing pro. Uh, well, it's not as good as it was when I was playing, but I do try and keep active. I've got a, a bunch of mates that I train with three days a week. And if I can get to those sessions, I, I'm pretty happy. So if I can do three sessions a week, I'm, I'm usually pretty happy. But it's been really good through COVID because no one's been really travelling. So I find travel puts a real spanner in the works from a fitness point of view. So you know, the fact we haven't been doing much of that's been a really good thing, you know, being just at home and had the feet on the ground a fair bit more. So, But it's hard, you know. One thing I really noticed when I retired was <coughs> you've actually got to find your own time to, to exercise, whereas I was used to doing that for a job. So Can you tell us a different, little you know? bit about your fitness regime when you were pro? Because, I, I mean, I'm imagining that you were spending all day working on it. <laughs> Yeah, it's in a game week usually on Monday, you know, if you'd played the previous week, it was more about recovery and getting moving again. So um, usually, you know, it's a big test match. You, you might take two or three days to actually recover physically because you were so, you know, beaten up by the by the game. So depending on how you felt on Monday, some guys would do more, some would do less. And then Tuesday would usually be our big day. So we'd train twice, one in the morning, one in the afternoon, and they'd be very physical a lot of running, a lot of contact, scrummaging, all that sort of thing. So that was our big day. And then Wednesday would usually be a day off. Thursday would be more a day for like speed and teamwork. So just getting our plays all sorted and probably do a bit more scrummaging and lineouts. And Friday would be quite a light, uh, what they call a captain's run, which would be just a very light, maybe a half hour session. And then Saturday you play. So and then Sunday recovery and off you go again. So when you're playing every week, uh, it's not always about the training. It's a lot about recovery to get ready to go again. You know, particularly as you get older and you play more rugby, I think the recovery part becomes very important. And uh, you've got to really be disciplined around that. So, And then in the off-season, obviously, there's no game. So there's a lot more running and conditioning and weights and that sort of stuff. So, How much did you weigh in your prime? About a hundred and... 13 kilos for most of my career yeah and you're 186 centimeters tall yeah last time i checked yeah (laughs) probably shorter than when i started playing yeah the difference between rugby league and rugby union leagues a game for gentlemen played by thugs unions a game for thugs played by gentlemen is that a joke or is that true Oh, look, I don't know. Well, I grew up in central Queensland where rugby league was a massive sport. still is. So I really like my rugby league. I really like watching it. Uh, I've got a lot of respect for, for the players. And it's very different to rugby. You know, there's so many differences. It's hard to compare the two. Uh, but, you know, rugby's always probably... I think rugby can do more to open itself up to a bigger audience. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that just speak about rugby as a private school game and and to a large degree it is. And maybe we can open it up a bit more, you know, to, to, to people outside of that. So uh, that, that's a good opportunity for the game going forward. But, um, yeah, as I said, I, I do... I, I admire rugby league and I do like watching it. Stephen, there are so many questions I want to ask you that aren't scripted. For instance, when you were in your prime and you had all the media attention, how did you handle that? Did it, was it frustrating? Was it pressurising? Did it go to your head? 
Mm. Yeah, I've never been overly comfortable with the profile side of things. Like I never, I never did, did, did what I did for that reason. Uh, but I was well aware that it came with with the territory. And I also used to take myself back to when I was a kid, and I had heroes, and I, you know, I watched people on the TV, and I, I got signatures and all that. So I was very mindful through my career that once upon a time I was one of those people. So you know, I always felt it important to find the time uh, to to engage and interact with people uh, who who just were very interested in the game and wanted us to do well. You know, so there's always going to be people out there who want to cut you down and and want to be negative, and I think that's the case in everything. And I tried to avoid you know things that would I would see a lot of that. Like didn't read a lot of stuff, you know. But in terms of the interaction with media. Look, the media is a big part of our game. And as a captain, particularly, you have an obligation to engage with the media, let them in, give them a bit of insight into how the team works. <coughs> and I didn't shy away from that. Now, I wouldn't say I was like always pumped about talking to the media, but I just knew it was part of what we did. What are you most, most of them are pretty good. What are you most proud of in your captaincy? What do you think, or even just in, in Wallaby career, what do you think you did really well? Well, probably more proud of not the captaincy stuff, more so, uh, you know, as I said, I prided myself on consistency. So I wanted my teammates to look at me in the dressing room and say, we know that he's going to do his job and he's going to deliver uh, what he said he's going to do. And as I said, I, I tried to get to that point by being very consistent in my preparation. So I knew that if I did X, Y, Z, I would play well. Uh, and I tried to do that over and over. And I think that's what I valued in teammates of mine. So I tried to do that. I think consistency of performance at that level is very, is worth a lot and it's really powerful. And you want people around you who do that. So that's what I focused on. So, and, and I'd like to think that, you know, a lot of my teammates would say that I, that that's the type of teammate I was like. So, and likewise, off the field, I try to be consistent. So, you know, stand for the same things and, and really be consistent in my behaviours and what I thought the team should 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 stand for and, and should be known as because you want people to say good things about the team, you know, on and off the field. And that was whenever I heard positive feedback about the team, even mostly off the field, made me very proud that we were making an impact on people's lives and, because when you play for your country, you've got the ability to make people really happy and proud. And that's such a good opportunity and such a great responsibility. Like how many people have that opportunity, you know, to, to actually make people happy and proud to be Australian? Well, the Wallabies do have that chance because we're a national team. We play all around the world. So you've got to take that really seriously in everything you do and the way you prepare the way you conduct yourself on the field, off the field, at airports, hotels, and the media, all that stuff. So, you know, I took that really seriously. And I think, um, you know, hopefully in my time there, that was seen as a positive part of my contribution. Who did you enjoy playing against? England, mostly. <laughs> Any reason yeah. for that? New Zealand, were, New Zealand were, you know, they were always the benchmark, so... It was always the toughest games against the All Blacks. Uh, they were the great team of that era. And uh, we were always 
at their heels for most of the time, but never quite made it to be to, to go past them. And so those games were, were always tough. And you knew when you played New Zealand that was going to be the toughest games of the year. But England, particularly in London, it's just such a Twickenham is such a great place to play. It's it's you know it's one of the homes of rugby, if not the home of rugby. England are a big rival for Australia in all sport. You know, if you look at cricket and rugby particularly. Uh, and it was always a great feeling to sit, to, to walk off Twickenham, having won a test match in front of 85,000 white jerseys. And there was always a little sprinkling of gold in the crowd, uh, but that was always very satisfying. And my best memories are sitting in the dressing rooms at Twickenham after a test match and just enjoying that moment with your, with your teammates because uh, you, you were there on your own. You know, there wasn't a lot of people supporting us. I know there's a lot of Aussies living there watching on TV, but, um, you know, that was a very special time. Your wife was an ex-investment banker. She worked for Investec. Yeah. Was she... How yeah, she's was, South African. How supportive was she in all of this for you and all the travelling? Yeah, all unbelievable. She was... Um, you know, we met when I was over in South Africa, actually playing a test match. So uh, we met at a function after one of the test matches. We played the Springboks in Johannesburg and she was in, in Joburg for work with Investec. Um, well, I guess it wasn't really a function. It was it was more a bar, pub type thing. You know, <laughs> just call it a function, but <laughs> it's a bit easier. But um, yeah, and we did long distance for like two years. So... That was tough, you know, the time zone's shocking between here and South Africa. So eventually she made the decision to move to Australia. I was living in Canberra at the time. So I told her Canberra was a little bit like Durban, which is where she was from, which wasn't correct, but she moved anyway. And I think it was, I think the day she arrived, it was like minus two degrees in Canberra and around Anzac Day. So, <laughs> um, so I think I nearly scared her off initially, but, um, you know, she... She, she's enjoyed living in Australia. Now we've got three kids and it was a big sacrifice for her to move away from her home and her family and friends um, to Australia and, you know, forever be grateful for that. And I know there'd be times where she would find that hard. How's the transition to corporate life? Yeah, pretty good. It's physically a lot easier. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going out there feeling so bad every Sunday morning that I can have to peel myself out of bed, but... <laughs> Uh, look, by and large, it's been really good. I've learned a lot. It's very different um, in a lot of ways, but mostly positive and, and really enjoying the new the new way of life and the new environment. You know, I think uh, it is you've got to be quite vulnerable, and because you know you're starting from scratch essentially in a new in a new world. Because I came from a, a world where I, I knew it back to front. You know, I knew everything about it. Uh, I'd been there a long time. Uh, into an environment where I'm, I'm quite new and I'm just learning and trying to pick up on things as we go. So, so I find I found that really, really challenging, but also rewarding in the same in the same way. So, uh, yeah, I've still got a long way to go, but I'm I'm really enjoying what I'm doing so far. What are you doing? I'm working for a cattle company actually in agriculture called the North Australian Pastoral Company. So we've got 14 cattle properties all around Northern Australia. So basically we breed, grow and sell sell cattle to domestic markets and also overseas. Uh, we're majority owned by Queensland Investment Corporation. 
So we're part of a large fund fund management structure. Uh, so we have a lot of interaction with QIC, which is great. You know, I learned a lot from that interaction and, and met some great people through that connection. So, yeah, we get a bit of the, the agriculture, which is a big industry in Queensland, and, and also the fund management finance part, I think I'll find really interesting as well. So... Um, there's something really good about working in an operating business because you get exposure to, you know, the financials, the marketing, the people stuff, you know, the HR side of things, and then the operational component as well. So, you know, I've been lucky to get exposure to all those areas um, early on in my, I suppose, my, my new life and my new career, and that's taught me a lot. If we can just summarise the key aspects of leadership for you, because you've touched on a few themes, mental toughness, repetition, habits, preparation. Mm. Anything else? Do I miss anything? I think, I think most of the things around leadership are, are pretty well documented, but the key part about it is being genuine and authentic, I think. So there's not one type of leader out there so if you're a leader you need to be the best leader that you can be not that someone else wants you to be or thinks you need to be and authenticity comes across really clearly to the people that you're leading so if you're not yourself it's quite clear to people but people respect it if you are yourself you say what you think you stand for something and and you you have a lot of conviction in how you do that. So I, I think the best leaders and the most effective leaders are very genuine and authentic about how they go about what they do. And then they do what they say, you know, so actions and words can often be separated and, and good leaders really live uh, what they say. You know, they, they live the actions or they live the, the behaviours that they, they want their team to, to live by. So... You know, leadership by osmosis and observation and things like that, I think, is is the most powerful type of leadership. So, which has been a real struggle in COVID, right? You know, a lot of a lot of companies have become dislocated and working remotely, and and I do worry that uh, that from a leadership point of view, we're not getting that opportunity to influence uh, through behaviours and habits and body language and that kind of thing uh, is being missed a little bit. So you know, I, I hope that sort of thing comes back or isn't lost completely because you know, there's only so much you can do uh, without actually being around people. I think that's probably signalling the end of our interview. <laughs> is there any way people can get in touch with you now you're in the corporate world? Now you're a straighty 180 in the corporate world. <laughs> Yeah, look, I, I suppose LinkedIn is is the way uh, you know, most people seem to get in touch with me uh, about different things. So, so yeah, I think if you look look me up on LinkedIn, uh, you probably know more about that than I do. But it's usually pretty straightforward to to find people. Is that would that be fair? It is. Are you doing speaking and and seminars at all? Uh, I do a little bit. Yeah, I don't have like a uh, a set routine around that, but. Uh, you know, I love talking about this stuff. So if there's anyone out there who's, who is, is interested, I'm more than happy to, to help out. And, um, you know, I'm pretty passionate about this stuff. I really do enjoy it. I think it's a, it's a privilege to have, to have had the experiences that I've had and, and hopefully I've learned from that. And, and if you can help people with one thing, you know, even to go back to the making your bed, that it's just one simple thing and that's how it starts. And, it's infectious, you know, when people want to keep learning and, and 
inquiring about this kind of thing and I really enjoy talking about it. How much do you weigh now? Uh, oh, geez. I'll probably say to that, I haven't been on the scales for a while, but maybe maybe four to five kilos heavier than when I played. So I've got some work to do. <laughs> Steve I don't Moore. need to be so heavy anymore. <laughs> do you ever get in fist fights? Has anyone ever approached you for a fight? <laughs> they just run. <laughs> no, thankfully. No, my days of doing that are behind me, fortunately. I hope. Yeah. <laughs> Centurion Titan, Captain Courageous, Stephen Moore. Thank you very much. No problem. Thanks a lot. Anytime. Cheers. And that's all for today's Talking Trading episode. We hope you enjoyed former Wallabies captain Stephen Moore. Stay tuned next week as we go back to a very dynamic trader and business owner, Andrew Stotts. I'm Caroline Stephen. Take care. As always, if you like this show, please be sure to tell a friend. You can also subscribe on Apple Podcast and make sure you give us a big fat five-star review. You'll also notice that Talking Trading doesn't use sponsors and barely advertisers. This is because Chris Tate and Louise Bedford fund this show from tradinggame.com.au. If you'd like to get Louise's five-part free e-course, register at tradinggame.com.au. So until next week, happy trading. The views represented on Talking Trading are generally nature and do not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. Before acting on any of the information, consider its appropriateness in regards to your own situation.